This week we look at Abraham's life. Last week we looked at the fact that Abraham started this awesome journey of faith. At 75 years old, this man left everything he knew. Now, I'm not saying this funny. I'm actually trying to make a point. Most of you know that there's not a whole lot of folks that change at 75 years old. But not a whole lot of change in anybody when they're that old. They've done made up their mind. They've lived life. They, they think they know better, and probably they do. But a lot of times, there's just no change in them. At 75 years old, Abraham changed everything in his life. And I want to say this. A real encounter with God, it'll change you. It don't matter how old you are, how young you are. A real encounter with the God of heaven and earth, it'll change you forever. Now, church can't do that. Religion in and of itself can't do that. Going through the motions, being baptized or sprinkled or, or, or confirmed or whatever you want to call it, or going to church and learning Bible Scriptures, none of that can change you forever. The only thing that will change you forever is being touched by the living God, the lover of your soul. So last week that happened with Abraham, and we, we saw that Abraham started off guns-ho. He was just ready to go. God said, I'm not even going to tell you exactly where it is. You just got to go, and I'll show you when you get there. And he started his journey. And last week we saw that Abraham, along this journey, all of a sudden his faith began to waver. And he got scared, and, he, and a famine came. He wasn't prepared for the famine. And he went down to Egypt, and he lied about who his wife was. He told Pharaoh that this is my sister. And Pharaoh ended up taking his wife into his, uh, his quarters. And God intervened and let nothing happen to Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh eventually came to Abraham and said, Why did you tell me this was your sister? What if I would have made her my wife? And Pharaoh said, Get out of here. Take your wife, take your stuff, and get out of here. And we saw a colossal failure of the father of faith. That's what the Bible calls Abraham. He's the father of faith. This week we're going to continue our study of the father of faith. In chapter 14, and uh, in chapter 14, I've got a lot of passages this morning, so I'm just going to get started. We're actually going to work all the way through 21. In chapter 14, Lot gets taken captive. Abraham goes to rescue Lot and has a pretty uh, significant victory. And the king of Sodom, in verse 21 of Genesis 14, is going to be our first text this morning. And we'll read through chapter 15 and verse 6. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, or Abraham, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who are with me. And there... Eshcol and Mamre, let them take their portion. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring, 
Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham has won a great victory, and one of the kings basically says, because you've won such a great victory, it's obvious that God is on your side, so I want to bless you. Abraham said, I'm not going to take anything from you unless you or anybody else tries to say that I have been taken care of by anyone other than God. God comes to Abraham and He says this. Look at it in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. After these things came the word of the Lord to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That word reward is singular. We, as the people of God, must come to the revelation again that God is the reward. He is the exceedingly great reward. There is nothing greater than God. The problem with us is that we want everything but God. We want the blessings of God. We want God to do this thing in our life and God to do that thing in our life and God to get us this job and God to move us to this place and God to get us this raise and God to do this and God to do that. We want everything that God can do. God said, I am your reward. This God who is the all-sustaining God of heaven and earth, this God who took the, the earth, the dirt of the earth, and formed it into man and breathed life into it. This God, He said, I am yours. I'm your reward. It's me that you can have. And I'm telling you, when we see it, and we believe it, and we understand it, it changes everything in our life when we begin to seek for God only and nothing else. All too often we are praying for the hands of God. When really what we need is Him. God says, my life touches everything. It touches every aspect of your life. My life is what you need. It is Me. I am your exceedingly great reward, Abraham. And this is an important principle. I don't teach a lot of theology on Sunday mornings. I typically just preach. But in the Bible... There is this, this uh, theological term that some theologians, we will call it the, the law of first mention. The law of first mention means that the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, the connotation that comes with that word or that thought follows itself throughout all the rest of the Bible. Now, God in the law of first mention, when he first talks about the rewarding of mankind, he says, I am that reward. I sure wish I, I could better put into modern day words spiritual things in this thought. When I saw this, that God's the reward, I quit praying for God to do certain things at church. God, we don't necessarily need a good song service. We don't need a great sermon. We don't need a great altar call. We don't need a great this or a great that. 
What we need is you. That's what we need. And if God, if you'll give us you, it'll be enough. It'll change us from the inside out. When God shows up, everything changes. People get saved. People get delivered. God does amazing things that only God can do. And He is our exceedingly great reward. Now, here's what I want you to get this morning, child of God. If you are saved, blood-bought, born again, this morning you have the gift of God in you. Now, a true revelation of that will set you free from hungering for anything else in this world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know why they'll be filled? Because nothing else fills. Nothing fills. You could be a multi-billionaire and it still would not fill you. Think about wealth. The number one thing that this world is after is wealth. What would you do with $50 billion? I want you to know something. I've crunched the numbers. I've crunched them. I really have. Mark Zuckerberg's worth about $50 million. He's the founder of Facebook. And I, off the top of my head, I can't remember the exact figures, but I've crunched them. Mark Zuckerberg would have to spend upwards of 3 to $5 million every day the rest of his life and not make anything else from now until then to even be able to spend what he has. What do you do with three to five million dollars a day? And here's the answer, nothing. Talk about how horrifying that would be. Imagine hitting the pinnacle of success, having fifty billion dollars at your disposal, knowing you'll die and not do anything with it. It doesn't satisfy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. There's no way to be filled except for coming to the reality that it's God that fills us. And when you see that you have the living God, the Creator of the eternal universe, the Creator of mankind, the Creator of heaven and earth and of the angels, and the One who brings the dead back to life, when you see that you have Him and He is in you, how could you hunger for anything else? You see, Christian here this morning, listen to the preacher when I tell you this. If you're hungering for things of this world, you don't realize what you've got. You don't. You might know you're saved, but I'm telling you, you do not realize He alone is the exceedingly great reward. If you're chasing fame and success and raises and this thing and that thing and a new house and a new boat and this and that, if you're chasing those things and all of us have different things that we chase, it's unbelievable. You think those things are somehow more significant than God Himself. We must learn how in reality to live in what we have, and that is God. What I'm telling you this morning changed my life forever as a Christian when I saw it. I spend most of my time praying, not asking for things. I pray for most of you in here by name on a fairly regular basis. In my brain, I go through the front row, second row, third row, so don't move around too much or I'll forget where you are and you might get skipped. <laughs> You might get skipped. That's how I do it. That's how I remember. But when I, when I get away, and I say this with an honest heart before you, and standing before God with my hand to heaven, 
I can't tell you the last time I prayed for God to do anything for me financially, to give me a raise of that nature, to give me a bigger home, a new car. I've just been satisfied with what God's given me. Because what I've prayed for is stuff that is a billion, zillion, million, million, million times greater than that. I pray, God, help me to just have You. Give me revelation of the fact I have You. You are my reward. That's the reward I have. You. Nothing else matters. Often when I pray for Sunday morning service, it's Sunday night and Wednesday. My prayer is this, God, I don't know what You're going to do. These are my notes for this morning. Genesis 14, Genesis 16, Genesis 17, possibly Genesis 19, Genesis 20 and Genesis 21. Now, sometimes I use notes. I'm just making the point this morning. I've just prayed, God, we don't need a great three-point sermon. What we need is You. And I spent time seeking God, saying, God, if You will show up, if You will just give us Yourself this morning, lives will be changed, homes will be held together, people will be saved, sinners will come to You, Your saints will be encouraged, You will be glorified. All that we need is You. And I confess, God, I don't know what that looks like. I confess, God, I don't know how to open up the windows of heaven and bring You into this place, but I know that You do. And the one thing I pray for is that somehow, some way, when we come together, You give us Yourself because You are the reward. God will take care of everything else. This is the lesson that God taught Abraham. Now, God tells Abraham, let's move, God tells Abraham that I'm going to give you an heir from your own body. Now, remember, Abraham left when he was 75. So he's an old man. His wife is uh, 10 years younger than him, thereabouts. And God says, I'm going to give you an heir. And so... Abraham discusses this with Sarah, and he he reminds her that God has said He's going to make our descendants as numerous as the sea, as numerous as the stars in heaven and the sand on the seas. And God reminds Abraham, I have given you a promise. But look what happens in chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham indeed heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abraham, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes, the Lord's judge between you and me. In verse 2 it says, So Sarah said to Abraham, Abraham needed instead to listen to what God had told him first. In plain English, here's what happened. 
Sarah and Abraham both, because he took her advice, they begin to get a little nervous about this promise that he was going to have a son, that he's going to have an heir. And they got together and they talked about it. And they said, you know what, we're getting old. God hadn't given us a son. I know God said He was going to. I know that's what God said. But it hadn't happened. We need to do something about this. And they did. Hear my heart this morning. God knows I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm speaking the truth to you. They did what 95% of you do nearly every day of your Christian walk. They decided they'd try to do the work of God in the power of their flesh. I mean, they knew what God had said, but it wasn't working the way they thought it should work. So they thought, you know what? God needs a hand. God needs some help on this. God said He was going to do this, but and Abraham saying, and I told God it wouldn't work. I mean, I told Him we were too old. Apparently, He just didn't listen. And we're going to have to do something about this. And they concocted in their own minds a plan to do what they thought needed to be done. Sarah said, I can't bear children, so I've got a maiden. What I want you to do is have a son with her, and her son will basically become my son. That's a really bad idea. And it only takes three verses to read and find out. The maid hated Sarah for it. Sarah hated the maid for it, wanted to send the maid away. Even with the child, she couldn't even bear the thought of it. But the thing had been done. And Abraham, the father of faith, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, Abraham took another wife and bore a son trying to do for God what he thought God would not do for him. I told you last week that I really did wish I could tell you that most of God's heroes didn't blow it. Because then I can tell you, you'll never blow it. It's just not true. Abraham blew it big time here. We see Abraham first lie about who his wife is because he's too much of a coward to stand up and, and, and fight for. He just says, look, whatever Pharaoh's going to do, let Pharaoh do. At least I can live that way. God delivers him out of that situation. And now here he is trying to create the son that he thinks God won't give him. What do you do when God hasn't worked as fast as you thought God should? Abraham had waited many years. Many years for this promise. Years. Most of you won't wait on God for two months. You try the, I'll get serious about serving God for two months. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be a Christian. And then the famine comes. Bad things happen. And you decide, well, forget it. I'll just do what I think's best. Abraham continued to falter and fail. This terrible decision that he and his wife made would affect not only their lives, but the rest of human history. Some of you might not know this, but 
the stuff that we see in the news all the time uh, in Israel, where we've got the Palestinians trying to overtake Israel, and they're both arguing that the land belongs to them. Do you know why they're doing that? It's because of Ishmael. That is the reason. God gave Abraham a covenant. And what was the covenant? He said, this land, which included Israel, this land I will give to your descendants. Many of you may not know, but that's really what the argument's over. The Muslims say this. And they say it unashamedly. It is their doctrine. Matter of fact, their, their Quran teaches it clearly, unmistakably. Here's what it says. It says that the Muslims say they are the descendants of Ishmael. And that the right of the promise goes to the firstborn. And that Ishmael was the firstborn. And that God included, they say, that God included Ishmael in the promise which included the land. And so they say we have just as much a right to this land. Matter of fact, they say we have more of a right to this land and to Israel than what the Jewish people do because the Jewish people are the descendants of Isaac and we are the descendants of Ishmael. Did you know that? 4,000 years later, it is affecting the world because Abraham and Sarah said, I don't think we can wait on God. He's clearly not going to work. Let's have a child of our own. Our decisions affect our future. And one of the things you're going to see, not just through the life of Abraham, but through the life of all the men of God that we study over this year, you're going to see that God does have the ability to finish His purpose. That God wins. You're going to see that. It's it's amazing. While at the same time, God allows us to deal with the consequences of our choices here on earth. God can forgive us and get us turned around and get us going the right way, but that is no guarantee that you're not going to pay for the seeds that you've sown before. So Abraham and Sarah concoct this idea that's a terrible idea, and this is what happens when you try to do anything for God in the power of your own flesh and your own soul. Your soul is the place of your will and your emotions. It is the place of thinking. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The body dies, but the soul goes to be with the Lord. And the soul of man has been stained by the fall. When man sinned against God and the spirit of man was cut off from God, the soul of man was left with nothing to do but obey the longings of the flesh. And that's what's happening all around the world. It's what's happened ever since the fall. But what happens all too often with Christians is they get saved, And then they follow their soul, thinking it's God leading. They have some great emotion, and they're just convinced it's God. I've heard Christians say some of the absolute dumbest things that supposedly God told them. It wasn't God. God's Word clearly tells you different. Be careful what you say God says. He told you, you be very careful. In the Old Testament, the penalty for saying that God told you something that God didn't actually tell you was death. That was a penalty. Just remember that God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not saying the penalty is the same, but I'm saying the heart of God towards those who lie about saying that God has said something He didn't say is a very serious matter. 
And what's unbelievable is the number of Christians who actually follow their soul. They feel something. They think something. It's, a, it's an inside, fuzzy feeling. So it has to be God. We have to take everything we feel and make sure it lines up with the Word of God. God does speak to us. He speaks in a very real way. And God desires to speak to every single one of His children. But this business of learning to actually hear God is a very important business. Because if you don't, we as Christians do what Abraham and Sarah did. And I'm telling you, in my best estimation as a pastor, about 95% of true blood-bought, born-again Christians live their entire life in that place. They're controlled by their own soul, their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own emotions. The stronger the emotion, the more it must be God. And we can cause a lot of damage that way. We must learn to obey the will of God. We must know the will of God. God will never tell you to do something His Word does not. God will never tell you to do something that contradicts what His words told you not to do. And so... Abraham and Sarah, they try to give God a hand, and they mess things up. Now, God appears to Abraham in chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, we're going to stop there for just a moment. He left when he was 75, 24 years later. God appears to Abraham. And he tells Abraham, in essence, it's time now. He says in verse 2, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Look at verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. The place of humble submission is the only place where God will really talk with us. It's a spiritual law. God resists the proud. Do you ever have anybody that's just living in willful sin and you know it? Maybe they're in an adulterous relationship. Maybe they're um, a drunkard. A lot of people who call themselves Christians, it'd be a better term to call them drunkards. But someone who's living in willful sin, they know it's wrong, and you try to confront them on it, and what do they, they'll tell you God told them something. God resists the proud. If you want God to speak to you, you're going to have to come to the place and get the revelation of what we spoke on earlier this morning. You've got to be humbled, man. You've got to be humbled, sir. You've got to be humbled, ma'am. And it's in that place where we can truly fall on our face before God. That God begins to speak and God reminds Abraham of the promise and God says, it's going to happen. It's going to take place. God tells Abraham in verses 15 through 22. I'm not going to read them because I want to get, I want to move a little further this morning. But he tells Abraham in verses 15 through 22 to change Sarah's name to Sarai to Sarah. And he says, I will bless her and give her a son. In verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. This is our heart too. God help us. 
How often do we laugh when we hear about God doing something amazing and something miraculous, something that only God can do? I know I did the first several years of my Christian life. The thought that God could do something miraculous. That God could heal wounds that have been there for 50 years. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're emotional. That God could fix a marriage that's been on the verge of breaking for the last five, ten years. Yes, He can. Yes, He can. That God could get a hold of a heart who's refused Him for years. And here Abraham falls on his face and laughs and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? The answer to that question is yes. And Sarah was 90 years old. And Abraham says to God in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Here's Abraham still holding on to his old, fleshly, soulish way of accomplishing God's work. Now, here's what I want us to see this morning, and I pray that God will help you to see it. This process of learning to walk in faith, it is a process. After 25 years, Abraham is still arguing with God. 25 years. Trying to set God straight. Still thinking in his old way of thinking. Still still not convinced that all things can happen through God. Still not convinced that God can work in any situation at any time. And that all he has to do is stand fast and serve God and be faithful to God. He's not convinced of that. Even after 25 years. And here's a man who met with God a couple of times face to face. God appeared to him. Sometimes it says the Word of the Lord came to him in a vision, but twice it tells us that God just appeared to him. And yet after 25 years, he's arguing with God. We are the same way. We have to come to the place, real Christian living. If you've lived your life in spiritual defeat, if you are a Christian who has constantly failed... Let me say something. That's not God's will for your life, number one. Number two, though, all of us fail. It is a process. Number three, you need to get back up and serve God. And number four, God knew you were going to fail before He ever called you just like Abraham. But number five, and here's what I really want to say, here's what I want you to get in the depth of your soul. God will let you fall 500,000 times if He has to. Until you finally get it through your thick skull, you can't do anything for God in the power of your flesh. He'll just let you keep falling and falling and you'll get back up and 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 I'm going to have more willpower this time. It takes more than willpower to do the supernatural work of God. It takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit within us. It's not just about willpower. That would be so unfair if it was. There are some folks who have great willpower. And then there's some that don't. That sure would be unfair if only those with amazing willpower were the ones that had the ability to be used of God in any great capacity. I'd go so far to say that those who have great willpower, they might look spiritual. But when you really examine the work of their life, it causes very little for the cause of Christ. Because until we learn that we have nothing to offer God, 
that all of our flesh, all of our own planning, all of our own ways are useless in the hands of God. We'll never really learn to walk in the power, the victorious power of the life of Christ in us through the power of the Holy Ghost that has been given to those who believe. And just like Abraham, God will let you spend your life falling on your face until you come to the place and learn enough is enough. God, I'm going to start trusting You in all things. Until you get to the place. See, Abraham got to the place. And I'm getting ahead of myself trying to close out here. Next week, we're going to look at Abraham's victory. Abraham finally got to the place, Hebrews tells us, where his attitude became, you know what? If God could give me a son at a hundred years old, then He can raise this son back from the dead. I'm going to do what God said. I have learned my lesson and I am done trying to figure things out on my own. But it wasn't until he was well over 100 years old that he learned a lesson. Now, here's what I want to say this morning. God will allow us to learn from our own lessons. But we can learn from other people's lessons if we're smart. You don't have to go till you're over 100 years old before you really get it. You can. That's your choice. But you don't have to. So long as we hold on to our own ways and our own thinking and so many ways that we just we try to do things without God. We try to advance ourselves according to the ways of the world. We try to advance ourselves in the eyes of people. We try to position ourselves and, and, and make sure that those that are against us that somehow we've got an edge up on them. And, 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 and sometimes we, people are dishonest about their finances, dishonest about certain things in their life, thinking that somehow they're going to advance themselves further for the cause of Christ. God says, if you want to create Hagar, thinking that somehow it's going to advance my call on your life, there's going to be chaos that follows. God says, I know you're over 90 years old, Abraham. I know. And I know what I said, and I know when I said it. And you stand strong in what I said. And you don't waver to the left or the right, don't make excuses to sin, don't make excuses to do something that's outside of my will, don't make excuses to hedge around this way or that way, but you stand in your integrity and you wait on the salvation of the Lord and you see that when you are still, I am at work and I know what I'm doing. God wants every one of His children to come to that place where we are gripped by that type of faith. In Genesis chapter 19, it's a terrible story about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that Lot and his whole family, their life is wrecked, living in a place of utter perverse and gross, just lewdness. This was a result of Abraham's first failure, going down to Egypt in the first place. I told you last week, Abraham brought Lot up out of Egypt, but he never got Egypt out of Lot. Be careful what you feed your flesh. Be careful what you let your children see. Be careful justifying to yourself what the whole world does. I don't want my kids to feel like they're in a box. Be careful. Be careful. If the whole world is Sodom and Gomorrah, then go live in the hills. But don't raise them up there. Now, in Genesis chapter 20, I'm done today. 
In the first 11 verses of Genesis chapter 20, Abraham, you're not going to believe this, Abraham um, is, has just met with God. God has just told Abraham that he will have that son within a year's time. Abraham does the same thing that he did years ago. And he lies about who his wife is because he's afraid. You'd think we'd learn after a time, wouldn't you? Please listen to me, sir. Please. You're not the only person in this world who has failed the same stinking thing over and over and over and over again. And just because you have failed over and over and over and over again does not mean that God cannot use you. There does have to come a time and a place of getting up out of that heap, of getting up out of that mess, of saying, I have finally learned. Okay, enough is enough. I've failed it 500 times. I get it. Yes, you've got to come out of it, but understand that when you do, God has the ability to take you as you are and finish the plan that He started for your life. And if Abraham, the father of faith, could fail so miserably, and God could still use him. God can use you, and God can use me. Let us not remain in our condemnation and our shame and our guilt for all of our past failures, but let us rise up and say, enough is enough. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to obey God. I know what God's told me. I know what He's called me to. And I'm just going to get up and I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. In the power of God's Spirit. Finally, in verses 21 through 25, I'll just read verse 5. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 100 years old. 25 years after starting his journey. 25 years after starting his journey. The promise that God gave him was manifested. God takes us to the place of waiting on Him. He says, do you really trust me, child? Do you really believe that I'm in control? Do you really believe that I can take care of you and that I can meet your needs and that even in famine, somehow you're going to make it? God was faithful to His promise. God is always faithful to His promise. Every word that comes out of His mouth, He fulfills. And this morning in part two, we see that after years of failure, after years of, and even doing the same thing twice, after not learning His lesson, God blessed Abraham. And listen, Abraham's greatest victory, we're going to study it next week. Next week's the fun week. Next week's the power week. Next week's the week of God's deliverance and and God intervening. and, and, And it's the awesome week. But Abraham hadn't did that yet. And yet God fulfilled His promise. We've studied a man that for the most part has failed. He had a great job getting started. Getting started is always the easy part because you don't realize how hard it's going to be. So it's just like, yes. Let's go. God has a plan for my life. I'm leaving the old stuff behind and let's do it. And all of a sudden, famine comes. 
People come against you. You find out there's enemies in the land. You put your, All of a sudden, you're in places you didn't think were going to happen. You're fearful because you don't know what to do. And the only thing you know how to do is result to the old way you used to do business. And so you run back to Egypt and you mess things up there. And now your life is a mess and you're confused. You've tried to have a son named Ishmael and it didn't work. And all of a sudden, there's more conflict than there was. And you're thinking, God, what in the world did I get into? Even then, what did God do? He said, here's your son, I told you. God keeps His promise. Thank God, child of God, our God's going to see us home. He's faithful. The sooner that we get the lesson, I'll, this is the last statement I'll make, because next week I'll preach on it all morning long. The sooner we get it in our hearts, that real victory only comes when we don't question God and we obey Him fully and totally the sooner we really begin to walk in the power that God has for our lives. I ask our worship team to come. Father, I pray that You'd move all over this room this morning. God, Your presence has been with us. You've challenged hearts already. God, I pray, Lord, that right now You would do it only You can. Open up the hearts of men and women. Deal with some man right now. Deal with some lady right now. Do they really have you? Have they really repented and accepted you as their Lord and Master? God, deal with that man or that woman that's discouraged this morning that feels like they've just messed it up. Help them to see, yep, you've messed it up. So is everybody. What's that have to do with anything? Give them the courage to rise. And keep moving where you told them to go. To realize they're a lot closer today than where they were when they began. Because you continue to move us in the direction you want us to go. And I pray that what was spoken this morning, God, would heal us. So you thought you had to keep this up